It's that time again. It's Greek for the week. I'm Chris Palmer. Let's open our Bibles and get right down to the original language, the Greek. God bless you. It's the Greek for the Week podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. We're so blessed to have you and have your listenership. And I just pray that as we're post-launch from the book, that it's a blessing to your life and that you're reading letters from Jesus, that it's getting into your heart, and that you're learning about Christ's message to the seven churches of Revelation, which I believe is a, is a message for today and is perfect for where you're at in your walk with God, simply because the situations of the seven churches are very relevant and there's three different types of churches, even though there's seven churches, they're dealing with three particular things, and many of us can find ourselves in one of those places today, and the Word of God in these chapters gives to us a plan, a strategy, if you will, for victory. Now, today we're going to talk about the Philadelphian church, and people say, oh, well, we have a city in America named after the Philadelphian church, but the truth is, we have cities in America named after most of the seven churches. There is Ephesus, Georgia, there's Smyrna, and that's in Georgia, South Carolina, and Tennessee. There's Thyatira, Mississippi. There's Sardis, and that's in Georgia, Mississippi, and Ohio. And, of course, there's Philadelphia, but not just in Pennsylvania. Did you know there's a Philadelphia, Illinois, Indiana, Mississippi, New York, and Tennessee? That's correct. There's also a city named Patmos in Arkansas, but there are no cities in America, as far as my research has indicated, named Pergamum or Laodicea. So while Philadelphia is the most popular one, it certainly isn't the only one in the U.S. with a name after these cities. <clears throat> so, without further ado, let's get into the Philadelphian church. Now, I really like Philadelphia. Now, I like them all, but Philadelphia was hanging in there. They were a virtuous church. There's no rebuke given to them. Jesus, he, he uh, commends them. And there's some things about Philadelphia that maybe we aren't aware of that let's bring out in the text here. Let's first read it in English, and then we'll go over what's important in the Greek. Let's see here. Revelation 3, verse 7, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write. Now, somebody asked me recently, is the angel a, a literal angel or is it the pastor? Who is this angel that is constantly being written to? The Greek word here is angelos. It could mean messenger. I think it's, being a, I think it's a figure of speech being used here. I don't, it doesn't make sense to me. Some theologians have made a good argument to suggest that it possibly is an actual literal angel. There is an argument out there, but it's not the bulk of scholarship. And you know something? I just don't see how you'd write to an actual literal angel. I, it just, I don't think the argument even goes further than that. Um, <clears throat> so why, why would you pen to an angel and how could you charge angelic beings with some of the things that Jesus is charging mortals with here. So, let's keep going. Write this. The words of the Holy One, the true, who has the key of David. I just love this here. Let me stop here. The Holy One, the true, the one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. So one of the greatest things about Revelation, um, O Agios, which is the Holy One, and O Alethinos, which is the, uh, the true, is this the Christology that we find? Just right from the gun here in the book of Revelation. And actually, no other book really gets at the Trinity or shows you the clear difference in Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as well as the book of Revelation. And one podcast maybe I'll do in the future is to show you how John connected the Godhead. And people say, well, there's no term for Trinity in Scripture. Well, for people that are rapturous, there's no term for rapture in Scripture either. There's So these are things that just because it's not in there per se, it, it's also in there. Okay, so 
you know, you just because it's not written in one line doesn't mean it's it's not there. It is there, and we can put it together, or we can assume that this is what the apostles had in mind because of the way they wrote. And we see a Trinitarian doctrine here. We see a Christology that shows Christ as human, 100%, divine, 100%, and it's just wonderful. I think we get our Christology mixed, mixed up by avoiding the book of Revelation. That's one of the, the pitfalls of it. Be as it may, it says that he opens and no one will shut, shuts, no one will open. And, you know, that's kind of like where we stop usually here. And we say, oh, he has the key. He's going to open doors for you. God is going to open doors for you. And, and um, you know, if that's the application you're making that the Spirit's leading you, but let's not stop there. Let's move to verse 8. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, yet you have kept my word. You have not denied my name. Behold, I'll make those of the synagogue of Satan. Now, the word synagogue, we see synagogue of Satan. We think su suddenly uh, that there's a, a synagogue and it's full of Satan worshipers. Uh, well, that's a Jewish word there. It means a group of people, synagogue. Uh, it's actually, a Hebrew, the Hebrew word is translated into the Greek. And it means a group of people, a community of people that identify as Jews. And he says, the synagogue of Satan, those who say they are Jews but are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. And so you see the situation here. If we got into it, there was those that said they were Jews, and they were telling the Philadelphians that they weren't going to go to heaven and be a part of Christ's messianic reign and his eternal kingdom. Um, when we deal with situations about heaven, uh, we're, we're usually, I believe, in a literal heaven. Scripture attests to it, Revelation 21, 22 especially, but more, more than that, moreover, a messianic reign as well as uh, a time of or an eternity, really, but first a thousand-year period of messianic reign on the earth and then the coming of the new Jerusalem. This is something that is really important for us to understand because by chapter 21 and 22 of Revelation, the Philadelphians would have really taken to that because it's something that the Jews at that time were saying they were excluded from and this was their entry point in, and when they would have read Revelation 21 and 22, they would have said, hey, we get to be a part of this messianic reign. This is for us. It's a promise. Even though the Jews at the time were saying they weren't going to be a part of that, God was endorsing them. And then he says, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. Uh, now, rapturists love to use that there uh, for the rapture. And, you know, I... I'm not going to get into what I think about the rapture. I am. I do have it on my, on my uh, belief statements. I believe in the rapture. I certainly hope for the rapture. Um, but I don't think if you don't believe in the rapture that you should get thrown under the bus. I, it, we, we sometimes treat that if, if someone comes along and says, hey, you know what, I'm not a rapturist. Um, we think that you've committed some type of damnable heresy and you should get really treated poorly. Um, I would really say to rapturists, uh, you should go and really work on defending that doctrine better than you do because prior to John Darby, we don't see a lot of it in the new, within Christi uh, biblical Christianity. We don't see a lot of mention of the rapture. Uh, it almost suggests, church history suggests that there was this idea of second coming, Harpazzo and second Thessalonians, that's Pauline. Doesn't necessarily, is not a smoking gun for the rapture. So it's, we can have a conversation about this. My my vision for rapturist and non-rapturist, okay, is that we can see each other's side of it and talk it out without pointing fingers and calling each other heretics and suggesting that somehow you have imploded Christian doctrine because you do or don't believe in a rapture. Um, let's, let's believe that we all believe in a second coming. That's very important. 
rapture. I like to have conversation. I see myself kind of in the middle as a referee, seeing both sides of it. I hope for a rapture. I see the tremendous possibility of a rapture. I have no qualms about preaching the rapture. But if there's no rapture, I'm okay with that too. That's where I stand. People have asked me, I'll tell you where I stand. I think that as we move through the book of Revelation and we go through it dispensationally, things begin to kind of fall apart. We have to see it a different way. And if we want to look at it dispensationally, that may be a second way of looking at it, but first we should look at it cynically as a retelling of the same stories. And people that look at it dispensationally, maybe look at authors like Richard Bauckham, people that have really taken to looking at the literary structure of it before they look at, let's just see it through the eyes of dispensationalism. Now we're getting to theology. Let's keep on moving. Verse number 11, I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Very important there. Won't get into it. Letters from Jesus does. Verse 12, the one who conquers, I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God, the name of my city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, let me say this before we get into the Philadelphian discussion, is that, you know, People would say, well, this is Revelation. I thought you were going to talk about rapture and, and seven years tribulation. And that's the wrong starting point. Let's look at this, what's going on before we just jump into that stuff right away. I mean, that is kind of like, hey, we have to take what popular teachers have said and just go with it. Let's, let's kind of leave that out for a second. And if it's there, we'll pick it up. If it's not there, we'll keep moving. And we don't really find it in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. We find the situation of the churches. One of the situations, historically speaking, is this church at Philadelphia, and they they are a church that is going through a lot. They have issues. One of them is their geography. Now, in uh, AD 17, one of the biggest earthquakes that we have in in antiquitous records suggests that it was right near the epicenter that an earthquake had come along, had leveled the Philadelphian uh, city, and had decimated it. And so, you know, if you've been in an earthquake, I have not, thank you, Lord, but if you have, God was merciful. I've been in a hurricane, not an earthquake. And I've seen tornadoes, but not an earthquake. And maybe I'd rather say I would rather be in a hurricane than an earthquake. I just, I would probably, at least you have a warning when you have a hurricane, right? But they did not have any type of warning back then. They did in this earthquake, and that was traumatic for them. And for years, the Philadelphian church struggled with uh, the possibility of the city caving on them. And so they were terrified, always running into the middle of the field when they felt tremors because tremors went on for years and years and years and years. And so you have this little Philadelphian church in the midst of this city that has seismic activity, and they are a very uh, a church that's on the edge. They're nervous, and anytime there's there's earthquakes, they're, they're running. And, that, and that's on top of all the other problems they have, especially the persecution. A lot of seismic activity, even spiritually speaking, going on in the Philadelphian church with how it says synagogue of Satan, the Greek word of is the genitive. It's being used probably possessively, the synagogue belonging to Satan, uh, which means that it's arguably that Satan was the one who was influencing them to some extent. Uh, it's interesting that Jesus uses such graphic detail. He says they belong to the host Satanas or the Satan. Uh, that's pretty heavy language that this is a, a religious group that belongs to Satan. Anyway, it's being influenced by demonic powers. And so that's what's going on. And it's causing them both physically and spiritually to be just nervous. But Jesus says something very interesting. He says, to the one who conquers, 
I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Now, the Greek word here, pillar, is stylos, which means a pillar that was so strong, it was a support beam. When you put this pillar into the ground, if you dug it right, that it was not going to move. Even if there was an earthquake, things could fall around, but this pillar is going to stand there because they were dug deep, they were dug intentionally, and they were extremely strong, they were hard to move, and in this case, it represents security. And here it represents security in the presence of God. And what Jesus was telling them is that because they belong to God, because they're in his presence and because they identify in Christ Jesus, they're in Christ, that there is a certain security that comes with that, both spiritually and naturally, that they were not going to be moved from their position in Christ, even though the Jews were telling them, you're not going to go to heaven, you're not going to be part of the Messianic reign, this inheritance is not for you. There was an Abrahamic promise that had been given to believers that were in Christ that they would make up the family of God. We see this in Romans, chapter, well, all through the book of Romans, to the Jew first and also to the Greek or to the Gentile. And and God, Christ Jesus is telling the Philadelphian church that this is something that you have a promise of, that you are going to be part of the Messianic reign, and, and nothing that the Jews say is going to take you away from that because Christ himself has made you that pillar, that unmovable pillar in the kingdom of God. Now, it would also meant that there's security as well, that they didn't have to fear earthquakes. They didn't have to fear what was going to happen because they were in Christ and God was going to take care of them. And that's very important for us today to understand that no matter what happens in life today, today, September 11th, we're, we are commemorating, we're remembering the lives, 3,000 so lives that were lost on September 11th. But listen, whatever happens to our country, we pray the blessings of God in U.S. and whatever country you're listening to, we pray the blessings of God over your country. No matter what happens or what upheaval happens, you can trust that by being in the presence of God, that there is security that no matter what happens to your country, nothing can take you out of the place that you have in the family of God. No persecution, like Paul says, neither life nor death can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. You have a fixture in Christ and no one can remove you from that. They don't have the power to do it. And that would have been really important for the Philadelphians who were struggling with so much insecurity in this area as well as as well as naturally speaking. And so for insecure church, this would have really made them, it would have made them secure. So today, you're in Christ. You belong to him. He called you by his name. So I want you to remain in Christ and be in him. And don't fear that anything can take you out of him. You follow the Holy Ghost, follow the Holy Spirit, depend upon his grace, exercise your faith, and you will be victorious today. Okay, God bless you. If you haven't got Letters from Jesus, go pick it up. Letters from Jesus, you can find it on Amazon. You can find it at Barnes & Noble's. As well as, uh, if you enjoy it, give it a five-star review on Amazon. Just drop a five-star, say, great book. If you really believe it, if you can in good conscience do it. And uh, we appreciate it. Okay, God bless, and we will talk to you again. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to support us further, you may visit us on the web at lightoftoday.org. God bless and good studying.